Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Emma Ann Hughes, Communications Director for the CII and Personal Finance Society. In this episode, I will be speaking to Robin Melly and Keith Richards. episode of the podcast we will be talking about building financial resilience and helping vulnerable clients. I'm joined by Robin Melly, the Personal Finance Society's Chartered Financial Planner of the Year and founder of Matrix Capital and Keith Richards, Chief Executive of the Personal Finance Society. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Robin and Keith. Hello, Robin and Keith. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio. Hello, Emma. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Emma. So, Robin, what kind of issues have you seen this year in terms of vulnerable customers? What kind of clients have you found to be especially vulnerable during this period? One of the very first things for people to, uh, or my peers to, to get to grips with, is a very simple thing, and is referring to clients or people in vulnerable circumstances rather than vulnerable people. Because the, the danger of using that terminology is that we tend to categorize people then as vulnerable. First of all, people don't want to be labeled as vulnerable, even though they may be in vulnerable circumstances. But sometimes it's, it's blatantly obvious that somebody is vulnerable because they may have suffered some uh, serious injury or catastrophic brain injury, and it's, it's visible to the whole world and it's probably going to be permanent. So everybody would accept that that person is, is vulnerable. But what, what's more often the case is that you come across clients uh, or prospective clients where you're totally unaware of vulnerabilities because, for example, it might be that that person you're talking to has just received news that they've got terminal cancer, for example, and they're just putting a brave face on. And you're totally unaware of that vulnerability in the background, but it's a huge influence on their their state of mind, their ability to make decisions. And, and ultimately, your, your, the ability for you to give robust advice, you know, so that's really important information to have. And it requires you as a practitioner to have the skills and to develop the level of trust and rapport with that person where they feel comfortable in divulging that type of information to you. So it's building up those skills, those soft skills and the technical knowledge to enable you to tease out and really explore some clues that might be obvious, but that will lead to them revealing that information. You know, for, for example, if you're going to give advice on perhaps the purchase of an annuity, it will be highly relevant to, to understand the extent of that person's uh, illness, particularly if it's if it's terminal, it would completely change the the advice. And I mean, I can give you one example that I had many years ago, where I had a client who'd had a, a heart bypass surgery, and he told me, took me to, to one side when his wife was out of the room to say, "I'm I'm telling you now that, uh, and he's only you that knows this, but my life expectancy is probably five years, but my wife doesn't know that." And that was really important for me to know because that impacted greatly on the advice that I gave him. So it's vitally important that, you know, my peers build up their knowledge, both from a technical point of view and develop their skills. Keith, would you say that Robin's experience is shared by the wider membership? 
What's the regulator's expectations in terms of vulnerability? Oh, the regulator is becoming really clear, Emron, its expectations of the role that advisors need to perform uh, and the duty of care they need to demonstrate when dealing with all clients. Uh, I mean, there is a basic principle here that every client is technically vulnerable. By that, what I mean is if you're dealing with someone that knows a lot more about a certain subject than you, then you're vulnerable by definition. So we have to demonstrate that extra duty of care when dealing with people going forward, but particularly recognising those in vulnerable circumstances. One of the big criticisms of the British Steel fiasco was advisors just didn't enter that with the level of caution and recognition of vulnerability that these people have been placed in. And it wasn't evident to the regulator that they took that vulnerability into account when making recommendations. So, you know, we are going to see a shift from the regulator. We're certainly going to see them focusing more and more within suitability and their supervision work. But it really is key around this duty of care. So anyone who you know needs to brush back out their processes and focus on duty of care, I'd strongly recommend they do so now because this is only going to carry on gaining traction towards an expectation of making sure that vulnerability is at the forefront of giving professional advice. So touching on that, I mean, what can financial advisors be doing at the moment, Robin, to make sure that their clients remain financially resilient, but also don't fall into vulnerability as a result of the economic fallout of what's going on with coronavirus? If they haven't already done so, they they need to go back to basics and make sure they've got a a robust policy on vulnerability and that it's a living document that they, they understand and that needs to drive what they do. The next thing I would suggest they do is to start to look at their processes For example, in in our financial planning questionnaire, we've got a whole section on vulnerability where we actually take clients through the four drivers that are referred to in the Financial Conduct Authority's guidance. So it's really a discipline. It's a checklist to say, okay, are there any health issues? Are there any life events? You know, are there any resilience issues or capability? And then we also look at, are there any signs of loss of mental capacity? Are there any signs of financial abuse? And we document those elements. So look at internal processes. I would also make sure that you provide some basic training for yourself and for your support team. And always remember that probably the most important person in your team is the person that answers the phone. And also remember that you're asking team members to draw on their life skills because, you know, my sort of age, you've gone through situations where you've witnessed or you've had to deal with elderly parents, for example, or somebody that's just had a stroke or somebody's just gone through a divorce. So you understand the, the complexities around that. So don't just focus on the advisors. Make sure that every team member engages in that basic training, if you like. And then start to look at your existing clients and, and the way you deal with them through the lens of vulnerability and start to pick up on the clues. And well, I would encourage all advisors to really brush up on their knowledge on on some of the things that are highly relevant to people in vulnerable circumstances. I mean, the basic things are get onto the Office of Public Guardian website, the OPG, really understand how lasting powers of attorney work, enduring powers of attorney, deputy ships, 
get an understanding of what mental capacity means and how to spot it and what you do. Understand financial abuse, you know, what are the signs? How do you deal with it? How do you signpost people? Where can you report things to? So it's, I think those are the sort of basic steps. And then, you know, there are, there are areas of specialisation that people can get into. But, you know, I think those sort of basic things, you know, I would encourage all my peers to, to do. Keith, can you tell us a bit about some of the work that the PFS has been doing recently around helping members with their clients building financial resilience and and addressing the needs of vulnerable customers. Yeah, indeed. And I, and I think it reinforces the point that uh, Robin's making is that we're about to launch a financial vulnerability task force that really will focus around the areas of vulnerability that financial advisors need to be increasingly alert to. My starting point really is that every advisor should be consciously inclusive of vulnerability rather than unconsciously exclusive. We've deliberately launched or launching a vulnerability task force because as Robin's already pointed out, vulnerability is much, much wider these days. And advisors, when they stop and think about it, will recognise that they've probably dealt with vulnerability, but not taken it into account. Financial abuse when pension freedoms came in was a very typical issue for financial advisors who were dealing with clients, in particular those that were insistent on transferring their defined benefit, simply because they were under pressure to help adult children pay down debt or give them money. So understanding what drives certain characteristics is really important. And we are going to see the FCA really increasing focus and attention. They've already indicated that they want vulnerable customers properly embedded in advice firms. So again, to the point that Robin's already made, it's really important that advisors demonstrate that they recognise vulnerability and do embed it within their treating customers fairly principles. And one of the things we're going to do as part of our, our task force and our greater focus is that we're going to help members identify, sometimes providing simple checklists that help to raise that consciousness about vulnerability. Uh, Emma, there's a, there's a big prize to be had for, for the members of the Personal Finance Society, and that is if we can get the profession to a position where it's viewed as a safe pair of hands, then everybody will benefit, clients will benefit, more clients will benefit, and also the advisory community will benefit. I mean, one very simple way to, to illustrate this is that, I mean, I've been in the profession now for nearly 30 years. And, you know, I've got a number of clients that go back 30 years. If I think of the clients where there's the highest level of loyalty and the greatest level of trust, it's with those clients that I was there as a safe pair of hands when they were in vulnerable circumstances. I can think of a widow, for example, just lost her husband. I was there to help her and, and we're still in touch. She's not what you call a, you know, a high-value client from a monetary point of view, but she's been loyal for 30 years. And all of my peers can think of exactly the same similar examples. My point is that if it works on an individual basis, so if it builds loyalty and trust and it, and it builds that perception that I'm a safe pair of hands by handling or helping those people in, in vulnerable circumstances, then collectively it will have the same impact. So given time, if we all act in the same way with all of our clients and we deal with vulnerability in a professional manner, then eventually 
the advisory profession will be viewed as a safe pair of hands in society and everybody will benefit. So that, that's my sort of call to action to my fellow members is to really grasp the issue of vulnerability and, and start to do some of the things we've talked about in this discussion. Actually, just to add to that, I mean, Robin's sort of shared that our strap line under the uh, Financial Vulnerability Task Force is going to be a safe pair of hands. And that hopefully should equally resonate with many members who probably see themselves as their client's safe pair of hands through difficult periods. I mean, certainly the real value of professional advice has come to the fore in times of crisis and and the one that we've got at the moment for those that are lucky enough to be under financial advice almost certainly feel far more confident and secure about the future because they have got a safe pair of hands there's some other things that we're doing in addition and already have done that relate to vulnerability in society so things like the launch of our forces money plan was initiated because of the vulnerability of veterans of the armed forces who had had life-changing events occur. They were compensated out of the military, but often become susceptible to financial abuse and financial crime. So they become hugely vulnerable coming out of one environment into another. And that was the basis of many members volunteering to be part of that. Now, the same is said for Money Plan which we did with Citizens Advice, and that was more about vulnerable people who otherwise couldn't access professional advice or or didn't know how to. And the same with our school programme. Although they're seen as pro bono programmes and giving something back to society, you know, over 900 members are now trained up to be education ambassadors to help the next generation become less vulnerable. So vulnerability has got to take on a, a different meaning now and and clearly the personal finance society through its task force wants to to make sure that we're leading the way in helping the, the profession evolve its strategies its processes not dissimilar to the reason why we launched the pension transfer task force which was all about empowering consumers to make better informed decisions because we recognized that they were more vulnerable a key decision making point in particular with regards to defined benefit pension transfers. Thanks, Robin and Keith. Identifying and understanding vulnerability is clearly vital if advisors are to properly serve clients and in order for the profession to be seen as a safe pair of hands. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group and at PFSConf. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.